Hello there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Well, today we're going to close out our series on Cain and Abel. And what we've been saying is that this story has taught us so much about some very significant relationships that we all have. And so far, we've looked at our relationship to worship, our relationship to anger, and today we're going to close this thing out by looking at our relationship to sin. Every last one of us have this long relationship with sin. In fact, everyone in the world has a lifelong relationship to sin. Uh, Several years ago in the state of California, uh, farmers were very alarmed uh, as they were threatened with potential disaster. There was a small invasion of the Mediterranean fruit fly. Um, This particular fly hatches very quickly, it multiplies quickly, and it took a very rapid all-out effort to save the California fruit crop that year. Um, As you may know, the larvae of uh, the Mediterranean fruit fly, they don't eat their way into the fruit from the outside. Rather, the insect lays the egg on the blossom, and then the fruit begins to grow, grow around it. And then sometime later, the worm hatches from the inside of the fruit and eats his way out. And so we're talking about the subject of sin, and and I believe that sin is a lot like that. It begins on the inside of us. It begins in the human heart. And if unchecked, it works its way out through our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. And as with the Mediterranean fruit fly, it takes quick, vigorous action to deal with it and root it out. And so if we let it go, Sin gets the upper hand, resulting in terrible destruction. And we see the terrible effects of unchecked sin in this story we've been examining for the past five weeks, the story of Cain and Abel. Cain would not deal with the sin in his life, and it led him to murder his very own brother. And so today I want to talk to you about the luring danger of sin. Now, no one's here today, but if you were here, I would ask you to raise your hand when I ask this question. How many of you watching this have done something wrong in your life? Or or how many of you have started to do something wrong and thought, you know, I shouldn't do this, but you went ahead and did it anyway? Or, Or perhaps you started your day off like any other normal day, but by the end of the day, you have felt ashamed and humiliated by what you did that day. Or or, or maybe you had no intentions of sinning or practicing evil, but it was almost like sin just kind of came up out of nowhere and snuck up on you. My guess is many of you watching this feel defeated. You feel like sin and the devil just push you around. Like sin has mastered you, and no matter what you do, you can't seem to control it. 
Well, the text that we want to focus on this morning is a very short text. Uh, we've been swimming around these verses for five weeks. It's Genesis 4-7. In the narrative of Genesis chapter 4, this is after God rejects Cain's offering. And then he tells Cain, hey, there's a right way to bring an offering. Uh, you can still make this right. But then he gives Cain a sober, a, a sober warning. A warning not only to Cain, but to all of us as we battle the relationship to sin. It's Genesis 4-7. You probably know it well because we've read it a lot the past few weeks. God says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. So picture sin there just crouching behind the door. Its desire is contrary to you. It does not have your best interests at heart. Then he ends by saying, but you must rule over it. And so in the Hebrew language, this word is giving us a, a, a word picture here of a wild beast waiting to attack, waiting to ambush you. It's the same word that the ancient Babylonians would use to describe a demon lurking behind a door, threatening the people on the inside of the house. It gives us this image of sin waiting to get into the door that leads to our heart. Well, we know, because we've been studying this story, that Cain did not heed God's advice. He didn't rule over his sin, but rather his sin ruled him. And God was warning Cain, and he's warning us, that sin is very stealthy. It moves with sly and quiet precision. You know, if you would fast forward several thousand years from Genesis chapter 4, one of the apostles, Peter, gives a very similar warning about the stealthness of sin. In 1 Peter 5.8, he says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And that word for prowl there is a word that means crouching. I'm sure most of you have seen some type of documentary on the Nature Channel or Discovery about lions. And when they hunt, they prowl around, they, they crouch down in the grass, and they're looking for their prey to walk by. And when that unsuspecting prey walks by, they leap from the grass, they devour their prey, and after their prey is killed, they roar. You see, I think you can draw a very linear line from Genesis chapter 4 all the way to 1 Peter chapter 5. And I think that line continues from 1 Peter chapter 5 to us today. This has always been and will always be the case. Every one of us have certain sins crouching at the door of our heart to try to get in. We have all fallen prey to sin. It's there waiting on us to devour us. And sin's waiting on the other side of the door to get into our heart. But like the Mediterranean fruit fly, sin wants to get in. And we have to constantly remember that we live in the flesh. 
that this is always going to be an issue. This is always going to be a struggle. You know, it can lie dormant for a very, very long time, but eventually sin will turn on us. It's like a fly that hangs around your front door in the summertime, just waiting for you to open the door so it can get in. So if we go back to Genesis 4, 7, the latter part of that verse, God says, sin's crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And so our text warns us that sin desires to have us. And the only way to prevail over it is to master it or to rule over it. Sin is like a toddler. It cannot be reasoned with. It has to be mastered. Because sin is always dangerous. It always and eventually leads to death and destruction. It's just a matter of time until your sin turns on you. I was reading about uh, a, a family known as the Romero family. Um, and in the late 80s, they were looking for a family pet. Well, they all put their heads together and they made a decision. And they bought Sally, a 12-inch Burmese python. Well, it was very small, but eight years later, Sally grew and reached over 11 and a half feet long and weighed over 80 pounds. For eight years, they took care of this snake. Then on July 20th, 1993, Sally turned on 15-year-old Derek Romano, strangling the teenager until he died of suffocation. Sin seems little at times. It seems harmless, but it will grow. If we tolerate it or we ignore it, it will eventually turn on us and lead to our demise. We read about the progressive degener degeneration of sin in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Listen to what James says. He's let, he says, let no one when he is tempted say, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Okay, but here's the progression. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. I think most of you in here who've got some mileage on you realize that sin promises to bring fulfillment. But it doesn't fulfill us. It actually drains the life right out of us. And so that's why God is imploring Cain to master his sin. And I think that's why God is imploring us to rule over or master our sins. So how do we master our sin? Because if you're like me, you think, man, I've got this under control, I'm doing fine, and then bam, out of nowhere, it can erupt and, and, and just wreak havoc on your life. Many years ago, a, there was an epic volcano eruption in the Philippines. And one reporter said this, quote, When a volcano is silent for many years, our people forget that it's a volcano and begin to treat it like a mountain. 
And so we have to be constantly vigilant and recognizing that sin is sin. And we've got to rule over it in our own hearts. God tells Cain to rule over his sin. So how do we do that? Well, I think if we dig around in the text a little bit, in Genesis 4, 7, uh, when God says, but you must rule over it, when you look at that text in the original Hebrew language, there's a verb used called Q-A-L, and it's used in the imperfect tense. The imperfect tense denotes a habitual or customary action, both past, present, or future. In other words, hear me now, just because you ruled over your sin today and tomorrow doesn't mean you're not going to have a battle next week. It's always in the present tense. It's an ongoing issue. We always have to be on the alert on how we can rule over our sin. It is an absolute lifelong struggle. So I would say it this way to illustrate. Let's say you go to the doctor and the doctor says to you, man, you are morbidly obese. Man, you are so overweight. Your cholesterol is through the roof. Your blood pressure is off the charts. You are a ticking time bomb. You're going to have to change your lifestyle. You're going to have to change your behavior or you're going to die. And so if you're wise, what you begin to do is you make healthier choices when you eat. You start to try to get some exercise. You take vitamins. What you would say is, from now on, until I die, I'm making a lifestyle change to get healthier and to stay healthy. You have to make a lifelong lifestyle change. Right? It's not going to do you any good to go on one of these crash course diets, drop 30 pounds, and then go back to the way things were because you're just going to be unhealthy again. It has to become a permanent part of your life that you'll always practice. Not a fad diet, but a lifestyle change. There's a big difference. And so one thing that we have to understand, church, is that sin will not go away on its own. We have to master it. We must, with God's help, learn to rule over our sin or our sin will rule over us. And so there's this word that comes to mind when we talk about mastering our sins. And I'm going to tell you, it's a nasty little word that we don't like very much in our culture. But it's actually a beautiful word. It's the word discipline. The spiritual disciplines of studying God's word and having a fervent prayer life. These are the tools that we have to use to master it. And I want you to hear me something. I want you to hear something. You will never rule over your sin if you don't get into God's word. Psalm 119 tells us, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You will not master your sin if you don't have a prayer life. Psalm 32 says, then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my sins to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And so the first thing I ask a person 
who comes to me for pastoral counseling and they're locked in some type of sin battle, I ask them two questions. How much are you in the Word and what's your prayer life like? Because if we are not holding or doing those two things, hear me, both of those things, we don't stand a chance. Being in God's Word and having a prayer life are equally important. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon was asked, what's more important, praying or reading the Bible? And his response was, depends. What's more important, breathing in or breathing out? We've got to be in God's word. We've got to have a prayer life or we're never going to rule over our sin. I want to take you real quickly to James chapter 4. Because I think James paints the same picture that's painted in Genesis chapter 4, the same picture that Peter paints in 1 Peter chapter 5, that Satan is there at the door of our heart. He's waiting to get in. He's He's waiting to cause havoc. And listen to the remedy that James gives us. It's very simple. James 4, 7. If we're battling sin, here's, here's the simple formula. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So the first step is to submit to God. Listen, I don't know how to to defeat the enemy. You don't know how to defeat the enemy. God knows how to defeat the enemy. He is the general. And so we don't just white-knuckle our way through sin saying, I'm just not going to do this, but we submit to his power. We submit ourselves under his authority. We bend our knee to his will. So we submit to God. Number two, the second step, James says, resist the devil. Okay, and so I want you to understand something. We have to grow a backbone here, right? The word resist is a word for fight. We have to fight the devil over our sins with the word of God, with prayer, with fasting, with our lift group, with our accountability partners. And here's what I have found. Too many people treat sin like it's something they can't work on, like resistance is futile. And they approach their sins with no resistance at all. They approach their sins with this defeatist attitude. Well, I'm going to sin. I'm weak. Why bother? The devil's more powerful than me. Why resist? Almost like they're being bullied by the devil. I was reading this article about one young boy in elementary school, and he explained that every day at school there was a bully that would take his lunch money. And he was a lot smaller than this bully, so he would always give his lunch money to him. He would give him $2 every day for five days a week. That was $10 a week he was giving to this bully. Well, he decided that he'd had enough, and he wanted to fight back. So he looked into taking karate lessons. But then he learned that each karate lesson would cost $20 a week. And so he thought it would be cheaper just to pay the bully $10 a week. You know, too many people feel like it's easier to pay the bully than to learn how to fight. And I think a lot of people feel that way about the devil 
and, and, and their sins. You know, it's just easier to cave into my sins and my desires than fight back. But James says, no, 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 no. You resist. You fight. You submit to God, and then you fight back. And then look what, what happens in the text. He says, and the devil will flee from you. He will retreat. He will run. He does lose battles. But one thing I want to caution you about is that though he might lose a certain battle over your sin, he knows the war is not over. He'll flee, but he'll come back. But with God's help, we can master our sin day by day. You may master your sin today, but tomorrow is a whole new day with all new temptations and trials. And he's going to keep coming back. That's why we must continue to fight. Will sin always be lurking at the door of our hearts? Yes. Until we go home to see the Lord. But with Christ, we can master it. Especially when we know that he lives in our heart. Greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in the world. And so, as you battle your lifelong relationship to sin, as sin crouches at the door of your heart, trying to get in, trying to control you, trying to master you, I would encourage you to take courage and know that Jesus is also at the door of your heart to help strengthen and encourage all of us as we fight this relationship to sin. I'm going to leave you with the words of Jesus that he said in Revelation chapter 3, verses 19 through 22. Jesus said this, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is the same door that the enemy's crouching at. It's the door of our heart. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and I will eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers. In other words, the one who submits to God, who resists the devil and the devil flees from him, that person who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on His throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.